Hello and welcome to Skin, the anti-racist podcast. My name is Michael Anthony and I am joined by three wonderful people, Dave Watkins, Crystalline Eli, and Haley Rose. We are coming to you from different parts of Ontario and we are here because we all have a vested interest in the idea of anti-racism and fighting against racism through education, we come together because we are all educators in one way or another. And we want to make sure that people all around the city of Toronto and Parham, the province of Ontario, uh, that we all have a firm base and a shared understanding so that together we can work towards a day when racism in all forms is gone. To start, I thought that it would be very important for all of us to do a quick introduction to who we are and how we come to this discussion around anti-racism. So I would like to have Haley Rose say a few words about yourself. Parham? Sure. Um, I live in Parham. It's not a city. It's it's not a town. It's not a village. It's actually a hamlet. Uh I, Mike is, or no, Dave is mouthing, what the fuck is a hamlet? For those of you that can't see, a hamlet is really small. I grew up here and uh, nobody where I grew up was any kind of color other than white and mostly all kind of this Anglo-Christian um, background. It's a wonderful place to grow up, but when I graduated from high school, I... I wanted to experience more of that. So I went to Queens, the whitest university available to me. And I still obviously didn't get that experience. Uh, as a teacher, I thought it was important for me to understand the backgrounds of my students and to have a broader view. So I moved to Toronto and I got a job working at Weston Collegiate Institute and that's where I met Dave and where I met Mike. And we actually all shared an office together. And even though I spent almost nine years in the TDSB, it was those first few years at Weston that shaped who I am as an educator and not just my colleagues, but definitely my students. And I, I learned so much about my own bias and, and where that comes from and started to fight against it. Still a process. Um, I live now, I moved home, so I bought a farm with my husband, and we live with a lot of animals, horses and donkeys and cats and chickens and and two goats now. So I am coming from a very different place than my, my three co-presenters, um, but it's a really cool place. Uh, we have a really large Indigenous population in the school I work with. Um, in my own community, and that's been that's been an amazing experience as well. So I hope everybody enjoys listening to this and and the different voices that we bring. Mr. Watkins, uh, my name is Dave Watkins. Uh, I was a teacher at the TDSB for 20 years. I was in education for 31 years. Uh, been out for about a year and a half. Uh, retired uh, June, I guess, the year before last. Um, I'm a black man who grew up in Canada and the United States. Uh, my mother's American from Arkansas, 
whose um, you know great whose grandfather was actually uh, born a slave. Uh, I am seven generations in Canada because my um, ancestors uh, escaped the, using the Underground Railroad out of Virginia. So I'm kind of in a unique vantage point where I've got a lot of American in me. I've got a lot of Canadian in me. I'm older than Canada as far as my family's concerned. And uh, I've been, you know, I grew up in Windsor, Detroit area for most of my life. Went to school in Indiana, um, scholarship for track and field and football. Uh, started working in Toronto. So the people that I met when I was growing up, most of the people were either American or Underground Railroad. But when I came up to Toronto, uh, most of the black people that I met were actually Caribbean and African, which is a different paradigm or a different uh, culture than I was used to. So I've been, in a lot of ways, immersed inside of a lot of different societies. I consider myself almost bicultural in a way where I can function inside of the black communities that I've grown up with and become accustomed to, but also can function in the white communities out of necessity because it's, you're, you're immersed in it because it just it's the, the mainstream culture. So I've had a lot of success in education, and I tried to focus in primarily on teaching African studies and children of African descent. I had a conference at the University of Windsor called the Diaspora Conference for about 13 years, where we brought over um, Americans, uh, people from uh, students from the United States, students from the TDSB, primarily African and Caribbean, and kids in the Underground Railroad from my own descent. And we had a, uh, a networking conference for three days at the university so they can compare their similarities and dissimilarities. Uh, dealing with the um, the African or the diasporic culture, if that's a word, and uh, just to find out that you're, it's not a monolith, it's not monolithic. So now I've been um, I worked with uh, both Haley and Michael for the longest time at, at uh, Western Collegiate. Um, I finished at George Harvey, which is a school that's very similar to Western in a lot of ways, and that's in Toronto. And here I am now, still working with students as far as art is concerned, because I'm also a comic book artist. And I'm teaching students who are primarily in urban areas how to draw comic books to tell their story. So I'm a part of this, and you know, I'm kind of a professional eclectic in a lot of ways, but this is kind of what I'm doing now. Crystalline. Hi. Um, my name is Crystalline, as uh, I was introduced, and um, I'm a child and youth worker with the TDSB, and I met Michael. Um, through working at the school there at Weston. And um, what I do is work with children who um, have special needs and also um, choose to work with people who um, are on the lower end of the demographics, um, culturally and socially. Um, I choose to work with that population through the, the work that I do with the TDSB, um, being on a behavior regional service team. Um, I tend to pick up cases um, with mainly uh, black children or African descent. Um, I didn't let you know that um, my background is actually um, Caribbean, um, African Caribbean descent. My parents are from the Caribbean. Um, and as Dave did point out, um, being a black Caribbean person, it's a lot different from being an um, American black um, person. Uh, the experiences are, are two different spectrums. Um, the experience that my parents have had um, growing up in the Caribbean, they 
didn't experience race as they have experienced race um, in Canada um, because everyone pretty much looked the same, had the same um, value system. And um, I learned from them. Um, I always was told by them that, you know, when, when you're black, you gotta be t work twice as hard. And through that, I chose to get into a career working with um, dis disadvantaged children, mainly black uh, students who um, I feel that needed to hear the same message that I was hearing from my parents. Um, so that's, that's why I chose the field that I chose uh, as a child and youth worker. Um, I also do a side business where I work uh, mainly with um, young entrepreneurs, black entrepreneurs, mainly female black entrepreneurs, and I help them to promote themselves and to market themselves um, in, in a in a society where um, our, our, um, our race isn't as recognized as obviously the, um, the white race where it comes to uh, economics and uh, business ownership, we tend to um, get the lower end of the, the stick or the shitty end of the stick um, sometimes like what's happening. I don't know if people are aware of this, but right now on Eglinton Avenue, which is like little Jamaica, they're being being pushed out of businesses. And so I'm helping entrepreneurs to be relevant and to be um, more um, persistent in, in presenting themselves and um, getting their businesses out. So that's what I do in a nutshell. And that's that's me. Gentrification. That's right. Gotta love it. I'm Michael Anthony, as I said before, and if you were to see me walking down the street, you would see somebody who presents as a white male. Um, and uh, that is something that, uh, you know, every time I walk into a room, I, uh, I have that privilege and I recognize it as privilege. But uh, I also identify as somebody who is Jewish, and I very much see that as not only my religion, but also my race. Um, I did not go to school with anybody who looked any different from me um, for, for eight years of my formal education. And even when there was uh, starting to be people of different racial groups, uh, there were one, two, maybe three people. And um, that really impacted the way that I see race and that I understand uh, race. I did not have that youthful uh, engagement with people of different races. And it was like everybody said, it was really at Weston Collegiate when I started there that uh, that I had a significant exposure to people from so many different cultural backgrounds. And even though uh, a lot of them do present and do identify as Black, there are so many different cultures that are in that umbrella of black identity, uh, at least at Weston Collegiate. And I have learned so much 
from my students and I have been so privileged to work with them. And I've also learned just all of the things that frustrate and and are are keeping them from reaching their definition of success that they need to work so much harder than their peers who are uh, who are white to accomplish probably the exact same thing and that really pisses me off and i really cannot stand it and that is what has always brought me to the anti-racist fight and what brings me at least to this forum here and as we've been talking about what we wanted to do with this podcast we wanted to start at the absolute base we wanted to start with the word racism in order to really get a concrete definition of racism down and the definition that we agreed to work with is from the merriam-webster dictionary since 1828 and their definition is a belief that race is a fundamental determinant of human traits and capacities and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. When I read those words, I don't really get an understanding of what racism is. There are, to me, so many things that are missing, so many things that are glossed over. And I want to know from all of you, what do you think of that definition? Do you think that there needs to be anything added, anything changed, anything taken away? I'll, I'll open it and just say that I think one of the things that needs to be challenged as far as that definition is concerned is the fact that I think I believe race is visual. It's a construct, first of all. There's no such thing as really, you know, as race. You know, it's just the cosmetic features that have, uh, you know, come about through us, you know, either melanin or not having melanin based on where uh, our, we evolved, you know, closer to the equator, away from the equator, you know, having to get enough vitamin D into our system so that we could stay alive. So lighter skin, you need more vitamin D and blah, blah, blah. But race is visual um, in, in the definition that we're dealing with in today's world. Because if I were a person who was Italian, it would be ethnicity, right? I could always change my name and be something else. But I'll always have the, the, the prefix in front of me as a black, someone to a black teacher, a black man, a black athlete, a black, you know, whatever I was throughout my life. And that's basically deals specifically with visual it is it is a, a cosmetic feature and it, and it has something to do with your color or you know the way that you look but i i feel that the rest of it is ethnicity i, I worked with a guy one time who said look you know my grandfather was italian and he had you know went through so many things you know when he was coming up in in, in um, canada through the the 40s and 50s and i said bill i didn't even know you were italian i said how would i know you could be anything. I thought you were Irish, as a matter of fact. So the thing is, you can't pretend as far as, you know, who I am or Kristaline that you, you know who we are 
immediately. And that is also hammered into society, especially coming from uh, a Eurocentric kind of mindset where, you know, we were dealing with the, the, the definition of race. In the United States, they had to define it to keep their society going where you were three-fifths a human being, right? And if you had the one-drop rule where you had one drop of black, you were considered black. And that's why, you know, Obama is the first black president, not the first biracial president, the first white president, because he has the one-drop rule. He is half black, so he is assumed to be black. Um, so I think there's a visual aspect to race that that definition is kind of uh, missing. Yeah. And also what to add to that, Dave, uh, Mike, does it say inherent superiority? Is that the term? It does. Inherent right. superiority of a particular race. So when you said that, because I was thinking about this as everyone was going through their introductions and I am the only one that didn't mention what I look like or what I identify as and that's because I don't have to right that's, that's it's a great example right mm -hmm. there there's my inherent superiority I just um took it for granted obviously not when I think about it out loud but I think from a subliminal standpoint it didn't occur to me to say because I don't I don't need to I'm you know, if anyone doesn't kind of get where I'm going with that, I I am white, white looking. Um, I'm in the process of of exploring my indigenous heritage and, and that kind of family history. But what I look like and the identification I hold at this time is, is really Caucasian. Um, almost devastatingly so. <laughs> Um, but that's what strikes me in that definition is that inherent superiority. And I, I think as white people, we, we do that without even thinking about it. Christine, you want to say anything? I agree with, uh, I agree with both of you. Um, um, Dave, uh, yeah, when people see me, you know, it's automatic. You know, they know, well, they assume that I'm a black woman and that because of the color of my skin, you know, it's inherent, you know, that that's definitely who I am. And um, they could be making uh, judgments about my race and who I, they, they perceive me to be without even knowing who I am and where I really come from, you know, um, just based on the color of my skin. You know, it was an interesting point that you made, Haley. Like, I didn't even think of that, you know, when you didn't introduce uh, what your race was. And that's a very good point. <laughs> well, one of the things, I read a book called Waking Up White. And one of the things that, that floored me, even though I should know this, what floored me about it, what I read inside the book was this woman said she would, she could go months without bringing up her race at home and discussing it with her family that the idea of race would not even brought up, be brought up at home. And I was like, we talk about this five times a day. Like it's always present with us as far as, you know, our, our family is concerned. And as far as, you know, if we're watching TV or, and it, it's just always a constant because it's something that we, it, it's, it's, it's a part of what we wear every day. And even my, my son, we watched the old planet of the apes with Charlton Heston. And uh, he was five years old, like my, my youngest boy. 
And it came to a part where they saw the black man was stuffed and they gave him blue eyes. And my son looked up at me and said, you see, dad, the black man dies first, even on a planet of apes. And he, the idea that he was aware of his race at five years old. And we were watching a movie from the you know early 70s. It's just something that, you know, I, I, I couldn't imagine. I was shocked that somebody would not discuss race and somebody shocked that we would discuss race. I'm trying to think of an occasion where my family and I have discussed race, like our own. Can't wow. think of one. Wow. Not once. Like I'm not even yeah. trying to joke. That floors me. Yeah. In, in terms of my skin color, you know, we, we, don't, we don't talk about that. We don't have those those conversations about, uh, you, you know, you'll you'll never guess what happened to me because of my skin color. Uh, you know, I, I you'll never guess how somebody looked at me or talked to me uh, or whatever. And when I when I walk into my classroom and let's say it's after lunch or whatever. That's all I'll hear my students talking about. In the hour since we last saw you, this is the crap that I had to deal with. Whether it's a, a police officer stopping a, a kid in the park and because they were on the swings and they want to ask the kid what's in his pocket, or it's the, uh, the staff, the security guard at the Dollarama saying, Sorry, black kids, you know, only three of you are allowed in at a time. But when they but when they see me, when the security guard sees me walking in, walking up, he's like, oh, no, 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 you can come right in. And I'm like, uh, no, thanks. You know, you're not letting them in. I'm going to wait in line. Thank you very much. The thing that pisses me off about this definition is that it's racist. The definition yeah. of racism in this dictionary is racist. I mean, the fact that they don't even out themselves as racist is is mind-boggling. I mean, all they say is the inherent superiority of a particular race. They're not even going to say what race it is. Yeah, like, we know it's white people. We know it. We're talking about. <laughs> Like, well, I think that yeah, could be, that could be society. Said, it's already said. It's amazing that whoever wrote this definition and who edited it and, and gave the final stamp of approval on it didn't feel that it needed to be said. But Michael, I think what they should have added is that racism is in, is in separately linked to power structure. So whoever has the power structure, if you go to China, they talk about North and South Chinese. Now, South Chinese are darker than Northern Chinese. If you go to India, it's the same sort of thing. They, they have all this bleaching, you know, you know, creams and powders for, you know, the darker, the, the, the lower caste to be lighter. I mean, it's, it all depends on the power structure. Part of racism is the power. You can't, it's hard for a person who doesn't have power to be racist. That's where the idea of reverse racism becomes reverse racism becomes very touchy, because how can you be racist if you don't have the power structure to act on it? Now, there's a difference between if I can go into you know something that I talked about when I was in my class. Everybody is prejudiced. Everybody, 
because we prejudge based on the frame of reference that we're coming from. And I would do a chart on the board and I would write different ethnicities and I would write different races on the board. And I would tell, ask the kids, tell me the first thing that comes into your head when I mention these, these different areas or these different people. Man, they had a list for everybody, nor, you know, a Native American Indian or Aboriginal, uh, American Black, Caribbean Black, African Black. We can break it down like that for Black people. You can go through, you go, and then we got to white. I just wrote white, and it was, it stopped. It stopped because that was the mainstream. They had to fight to find things that were they prejudged because that's kind of the basis. That's that's the the, the baseline, right? That's the mainstream in this society. So there's a difference between being prejudiced and racism. Racism, you have to add the idea of discrimination with the prejudice to make it powerful, right? So that's where racism comes from. Everybody prejudges, but when you act on it and you say, I'm not going to do this because this guy is Asian, and I'm not going to do this because this guy is black, the action of prejudging turns into racism and discrimination. And that's probably a good point to to mention that this podcast is not so much about white hoods and that kind of overt racism. Although certainly I know it exists, right? We all know that it exists. And, and my students have told me time and time again that they've experienced this. Um, but it's also about the nuances and the power structures that we benefit from as white people, Dave. And, and, uh, you know, racism also including that. Whether we like it or not, it's about acknowledging it. Yeah, I, I go into you know, the mall and when I go into certain stores, I'm very conscious of not looking like I'm going to steal something so I'm not hassled because I don't want the hassle. Not that I've done anything wrong. I just know that there could be a hassle. So I try to avoid it at all costs because I don't want to raise to that level. I don't want to get myself up in my hackles up because somebody accuses me of something that I'm not going to do. So I'm active in how I, you know, even if you're a shopper's drug mart. You always got that guy who's pushing the cart with nothing in it, but he's watching you, right? So every time you go to a, a different aisle, there's that guy looking at you from the other side of the aisle and thinking, man, this guy's got nothing. He ain't shopping. He's shopping for me, right? My wife had to, there was a, she went to the shopper's, down on blue or she had to complain to the manager because this guy was following her around so it's just something that you know to be aware of right yeah and i've i mean i've been that staff member working on the floor of uh, a store and being told by my manager to follow someone who was a person of color around and i told them that I didn't feel comfortable doing that and perhaps they should, but she didn't see that as something that is racist. She saw that as something that is protecting the, the store in some way, the bottom line for this massive company, not a mom and pop shop that was uh you know that really needed every dollar every cent this was a big corporation and for me that's another part of this definition that's missing like and and you know the the nuance of certain words or actions uh that that people just don't think about and they either say it or they tweet it 
and and they don't stop to think about how somebody will interpret it and when they get called on it they immediately come to their own defense and say oh no 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 you know i didn't mean it in a racist way uh and most of the time I'm like how, how can you not have meant that in a racist way when it is so blatantly racist the worst thing you can call a racist is a racist that's funny yeah. they, they, they can call them a lot but you call them a racist they're gonna want to fight you there's a by-election in my riding right now and one of the candidates i'll let you guess what party but one of the candidates they tweeted out something about kamala harris and saying that she is not legit black and 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 uh, so a member from Wait, they did party, that in public sanctioned on, in real life on on twitter said le legit black and 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 then immediately when the toronto star called this guy on it he, he said oh you know i i i didn't mean it in a racist way i mean i'm proud of kamala harris to, to run i'm a person of color as well and i am so proud and i'm like what what are you talking about you're a person of color, so you 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 can't be racist. I'm like, yeah, 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 you can, and you were. Yeah, it's a really common thing. I've also been told in job interviews that I talk about diversity too much. Really? Um, yeah. Um, Shame on you. Shame so on you. Too much. <laughs> too much diversity talk. It just you know, gets, ex fair, it gets exhausting. It was in this it, and like I'm a white person and I found it exhausting, yeah. and then it was followed up with. Now don't get me wrong, I understand diversity. I'm a gay man. I'm like, dude, you're a gay white man. Do you don't have gay tattooed on your forehead? No. Like, this is not to take away from the very no. legitimate issues that but it's the not synonymous. It's LGBTQ synonymous. community yeah. faces. That's that's not the point. The point is yeah. that that identity issue that Dave you were talking about. When we see someone, we identify them with a set of prejudices and ideas and and conceptions we have right away. So that was yeah. I talk about diversity too much, which I took as kind of a compliment. You know, like you know. I guess I did pretty good yeah. during that time in Toronto if if I went with no concept of what it meant to teach students of color and I left <laughs> was told I talk about diversity too much. Well, I think a lot of people resent it. You like you'll find if you go down to the United States right now, you'll find a lot of people who think that the most discriminated group are white males. And all you have to do is look at the Congress or the Senate or the CEOs and find out that's not true. But I, I think that, you know, a lot of people, because your your frame of reference is only your frame of reference, and it's hard to, to speak on, on something else if you're not, you know, if you're not aware of it. And, you know, for, for a lot of people, they can only see through their own eyes and don't bother to see through anybody else's. And... People have to train themselves to do that. 
and people have to want to train themselves to do it. And it's not always possible. Uh, I mean, I, I think that it's largely impossible, but still something that people have to have to try and do. Um, you know, the, the idea of being empathetic and really trying to to grasp not what a not what a race goes through, but what an individual person deals with on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, yeah, you can generalize it and think about it intellectually as like an, an exercise in empathy, but if I'm interacting with, you know, any individual, I'm thinking about them, not, you know, them as a representative of their entire race. Yeah. And that I'm thinking about them. And I think a lot of people you have to they have to understand that when they bring everybody when everybody gets better, everything gets better. Right? And then possibly they'll want to reach out outside of their own frame of reference. But the problem is is that, you know, it's like women's issues, right? Uh, uh, a man will say that he understands that women have the short end of the stick, that they don't have the privilege that a man has. And uh, so a woman will say, well, does that mean that you are, you have more, uh, I guess you're better off than I am? That you, what you've been, you, is you've been granted this just because of your sex? And a man will say, oh, no, no, I've worked very hard for what I got. But you can't have it both ways, right? It's the sliding scale. If one has privilege and the other one doesn't, so everybody can be the same, some people will have to lessen their privilege so that other people can have access to more privilege. And, that, and that's a hard thing. That's a hard thing. That's a there hard thing. Problem. That's a hard ask. And I think that's why this is so difficult. I mean, yep. I'm pretty self-aware. I'm not really, you know, there are times when I say, Ooh, you need to let go of this power, Haley, you need to, it's hard and I can recognize it and see it. And I don't like it. And I end up doing it anyway. I do a pretty good job for the most part, but this isn't a, an exercise and what a great person I am. Like this is hard. It, it, it's not easy. And I understand why who wants to let go of power. Nobody does. Nobody, nobody does. Nobody wants to do that. That's, and that's, that's why I appreciate it when somebody very obviously goes ahead and tries to take power away from me. Uh, you know, I yeah, I, I don't like it. I don't like it. But when they're doing whatever they're doing to take that power away from me, you know, as long as it's obvious to me, that sends me a message. And I listen for that message because I am aware or as aware as I am able to be right now um, of that power and of that privilege that I have been granted just because of my gender and because of my skin color. And even though I think that I've worked hard and have, have, you know, got however many university degrees, you know, none of that, none of that matters because I know that that is something that has been very easily given, given to me.
and that, it's not the same kind of working hard. No, not not <laughs> at all. And and I wouldn't. Uh, and and honestly, I wouldn't even necessarily say. And I'm very you know open to admit that I don't think I had to work too hard. I don't think that I did work too hard. Well, my to high school. I am. My high school physics teacher told me I probably wouldn't graduate from university because I was black. <laughs> Yeah, I think it goes back to like um, our values and our our morals that we were brought up with as well, right? Like um, I was brought up in a community where, well, it was multiracial. Like there's so many different people. We were all had the same kind of economic status. Um, so there wasn't there wasn't much of that racism happening. I don't. I wouldn't say because we were on the same level we had the same kind of values and ethics and we understood each other there were, you know um whether we're black white or asian we all saw each other as equals um because of how we were raised and to see each other like that um i think when you're raised in a in a society where you're not mix you're not mixing with other people you're not as accepting and you're not as open to understanding or seeing from their perspective how they feel about things you know so and, and it's a learning experience definitely a learning experience um, some of us learn it earlier some of us learn it later down the road and some of us may not learn it at all you know so I, I think that you know unfortunately I, to be completely honest, Mike and I probably grew up very similar. I mean, I was, you know, there were black families growing up. I grew up in the 70s and the 80s in Windsor and Detroit. It was kind of wild because I go to Detroit and I'd see nothing but black people. I'd come to Windsor, I'd see nothing but white people. But I went to, I was educated in Windsor for the most part. And um, I was like, until my friend Debbie came into school, I was like one of the black, only black kids in my class forever. So I knew what mainstream white living and life was like because I was surrounded by it, I was immersed in it. So, I mean, society tells you sometimes that you're black. Like when all of a sudden, you know, the kids, when the N word starts, you know, nigger this, you know, you start hearing that in the schoolyard and you're having to fight. All of a sudden you start to realize I am not like so-and-so. And it's not the saddest part of it all was I didn't make that decision. Like we talk about somebody's not all black or whatever, or not you know, legit black or whatever. You don't make those decisions. Society will put that on you and then you have to function inside of that. And one of the reasons why I ran my course was so that kids didn't have to feel that society was going to define them. Rather, they define themselves by what they did and who they became. But you're fighting centuries, not years, centuries of programming. You're fighting a slave mentality where you were valued as far as your athleticism, how your sexuality, how many babies you can make, your entertainment value, and that's how you were valued. You weren't valued on your education. You weren't valued on how you get in inside of politics. You weren't valued on your business acumen. You weren't valid, uh, valued on those things. So here it is 400 years later, and in a lot of situations, black people who have been enslaved, and that's the thing, if you look at black people who have not been enslaved, they don't have the same mentality. 
But black people from the Caribbean and black people from the United States and even in Canada, that's what your value system was based on. And that's how all of a sudden you value yourselves. So all of a sudden you're the fastest runner. You're the you can catch a basketball. You can rap. You can sing. You can dance. And now all of a sudden you get money or you were valued. Maybe, you know, back in the, the time when you were enslaved, you would have floorboards on your cabin. But, you know, in today's world, they give you money because you, uh, let's be honest, especially during the 80s and 90s, um, 70% of black music was bought by white males. But, uh, like, not black music, rap music was bought by white males. Rap music wasn't meant for black people. Rap music was meant for white people, right? But with every slave mentality, there's also a master mentality where white people felt that they were the people that were in charge, that you had to be educated, that you weren't the ones that owned the business, that people worked for you, that your kids would go to school and go to university, right? So that mentality still carries through in today's world. So we're fighting things that are centuries old, and they're not going to be corrected with, hey, you got to work harder in school, or you know, all you got to do is study harder. And you're gonna, you have to really pull these kids out of a frame of reference that is so strong, an infrastructure that is so strong and so bolted down that is, in a lot of situations, difficult to escape. Dave, what do you, how would you, what would you say to a white person that said, well, white people can be in a cycle of poverty too, or white people can, I mean, I know the answer to this, but mm -hmm. How well, would you respond to that that notion of privilege that white privilege doesn't necessarily exist because not all white people are privileged? Well, I read a, another book. Um, let's see if I can remember the book, name of the book. Oh, it was called. Did white it have trash. pictures in it? <laughs> you can color it. It was called. <laughs> it was called White Trash, and oh, okay. basically, it was about how the white um, aristocrats, shall we say, the power structure in the states would force this ideal that the poor whites that came over, they would call them clay eaters, had the opportunity to reach that, that dream of becoming in, in their circle of, of, of uh, economic circle and social circle and financial circle. So there was always this idea that, you know, hey, don't worry, if you work hard enough, you do this and that, you're going to be where I am. There's an opportunity. But there's always this, especially in the United States, it always came down to one other thing. At least you're not black. Right? There was always a something, you know, just when you think you're on the bottom, you're dug, you're, your hole is really low, there's a, there's a knock from below. Right? And those are the black people. At least you're not a slave. You can be dead poor, but you're the overseer at the plant. So, yeah, they feel like they're, they're poor and they don't have a lot, but there's this, still this underlying you know, kind of mindset, the paradigm that, yeah, I'm poor and I don't have a lot, but I'm not black, right? Like Chris Rock put it perfectly. I'm a millionaire. I make a lot of money. I travel over the world. And he point to white guy in the eye and says, and you don't want to be me, right? So there's always that that you can fall back on. And I think in the States right now, you're seeing that. You're seeing the manifestation yeah. of that. You're seeing people trying to cling with all of their might to that kind of mindset and they don't want to let it go. And they found a champion who will speak to that. And they're, they're clinging to it. Like, like a, a, a drunk clean, uh, clings to a, a bottle. They don't want to give it up. But yeah. on the other side, there's a million very 
there's you know a whole bunch many millions of white people that get it you know, or at least trying to get it you can't you don't know, maybe not be empathetic but you can be sympathetic they're trying to figure it out because they know it makes or it they better. might not get it but at least they know they don't get it yeah and they're trying they're trying to figure it yeah. out and that's that's yeah. what gives me hope right because you can always be overwhelmed by those those other people that are louder and drag you down but there's a lot of people that aren't like that which is why you know the, the beauty of it all conversations about race shouldn't only be something that people who are of color people who are black have everybody should be talking about race and racism not always <laughs> but certainly should be having those conversations to focus themselves on doing more being better that's well be so there's there's your homework white people you know here's your homework for next episode sit down with your family whatever your family looks like and uh talk about what it means for you to be white there's a lot you got to understand here there's a lot of people that think it's just fine where it is and don't want to discuss it oh for sure yeah there are but they're not going to listen to this podcast because they don't give a shit thank you for listening to our first yeah. episode yeah. we're going to have a lot of really cool stuff on mm. we're going to have guests on we're going to talk about current issues you're right uh you know things that have happened in our careers and our lives mm -hmm. and careers baby I hate you so much right now. <laughs> <laughs>